Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the second week of our series, Harsh Truths. This message comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. And without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. We're in a section of uh, Matthew's gospel where Jesus teaches some things that come across as, as harsh truths because they go against our culture. They go against even what sounds right to us. But what we're going to see in our study is that is that all of them, when we dig deep, they're, they're beautiful. They're, they're hard, but they're beautiful. And uh, they're life-giving. This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, one that's maybe not quite as hard at, at, at the front. It's actually a beautiful story that we connect to. It's the story of the Good Shepherd. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew verses, uh, 18, verses 10 through 14. And, and even as you turn there, I'll, I'll start off right off the bat and let you know, and this is a challenging passage. This one particularly has been challenging and convicting to me. Uh, some of the things that we're going to talk about that we're like, this is what I think God is calling us to. I haven't been doing this as well as I need to. And it's kind of challenging me to kind of say, okay, I, I need to live into this. I need to apply this to my own life as well. Um, but again, it's, it's some beautiful stuff. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start by looking at the verses we're looking at. Uh, we're reading them, Matthew 18, starting in verse 10. See that uh, you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So is it not the will? So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. May God bless the reading of His Word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege that we do have to come together this morning, Father, to begin to dive into Your Word, to see the heart of of, of You as our God, the heart of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to not only to know the heart of Christ, but to see it as a heart that You call us to now to imitate, to live into, and to understand, and and to make it our heart as well pray for your blessing on our time. I pray that you would speak. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last Sunday, we began this uh, uh, Matthew 18 in this whole section, and, um, and we're going to focus primarily on verses 10 through 14. We read just a moment ago this morning, but because this whole section is connected, I want to take just a minute or two to kind of look at that first part of Matthew 18 and, and kind of let it set the context. Uh, it all started really what we saw last week in, in verse 1 of, of 18, where the disciples come to Jesus and they ask this question. They ask him saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And from uh, Gospel of Mark and Luke, they both give us account of the same event, the same teaching. And in their accounts, they make it clear that this was not just a, a theoretical question. You know, I wonder who's greatest. No, they, it actually tells us that they were arguing amongst themselves which of them would be greatest. You know, they wanted the position. And, and so now we could look at this, and, and if you're like me, my first thought is I, I look at this and I think, man, Jesus got to be so frustrated with these guys. It's like, you know, knock their heads and just say, what's wrong with you? Who's arguing about greatest? You shouldn't argue about that. And, but what's surprising is that when Jesus responds to them, he doesn't rebuke their desire to be great. He doesn't tell them your desire for greatness is wrong, but instead he says your definition of greatness is wrong. He t- tells them and he tells us that there's a sense that we should desire to be great in the kingdom of heaven. We should desire a life of significance. But greatness in the eyes of God is very different than greatness in the eyes of the world. 
And so to make sure he gets it, we get it right, he says, okay, let me give you this redefinition. And he starts to do that in verses two through four. And calling to him a child, it's actually a young child, think of a preschooler. He put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he continues in verse four, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And what he does is first of all, he says, okay, if you wanna understand greatness, it starts by, by choosing humility over self-advancement. Now, again, remember the disciples had been arguing over which of them was going to be greatest, which of them was gonna be first. And, and to see what Jesus is teaching here about calling a children or calling a child and calling us to be like children, one of the things we need to realize in that culture, children were not highly valued. Uh, they were not, you know, they, they were actually considered to be incredibly low status of, of no importance in the culture. And so when he teaches that we need to turn from the attitude of wanting to be first, of wanting to be greatest, and to become like children, what he's saying is that we need to stop trying to elevate ourselves into a position of, of what we perceive as significance. And we instead need to be able to say, I'm going to put myself in the place of a child. I'm going to put myself in a place of humility, in a place that, that isn't highly valued in our culture. And it's a choice. And, and you see him explicitly saying this here in verse 4. Whoever humbles himself like a little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's telling us this is what we need to do. So now if we do this, then what's that look like? Okay, if I humble myself and I put myself in a position of insignificance and practically, I can say I do that, but, but it should then play out in my life. And then he continues and says, this is what it looks like. Because, because again, if we're making ourselves like the, these little ones, what does he say? If you do that, Verse five, whoever receives such a child in my name receives me. If we put ourselves in a position of lowliness, we will serve people that are in positions of lowliness. Now he's talking about children, but not only children. Anyone who would be in the position that would, would be looked down on culture. He's calling us to invest in the lives of other people in a way that's selfless. You see, again, because in greatness marked by our culture is marked by the person who, you know, connects with people that has you know, that, you know, that, um, you know, that, that, that has the important people that with them that knows people. And he said, no, show me how you connect to the poor. Show me how you connect to the outcasts. In the world, it's like, no, who do I identify? You know, if you become a star because, well, what parties do you go to? Who do you know? What do you get invited to? And, and from a worldly perspective, a selfish view looks at greatness in the sense of who are the people that I can connect to that will add to me? Who are the people that make me happy? Who are the people that add to my life? Who are the people that I look good with? Who are the people that give me status? But Jesus is saying, no, true greatness in the eyes of God means investing ourselves in people who have nothing to offer us in return. And he calls us to love people who have nothing to offer us in return. It's not asking, you know, who can I spend time with that I enjoy the most? You know, who's gonna make, again, add something to me? Who do I get the most out of? but we're called to ask who will benefit the most from me serving them? You know, who else is, who, who's being overlooked by everyone else? And that's the idea when he would get into verse 10. In the first verse we looked at this morning, he says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven, their angels will always see the face of my father who's in heaven. Now, some of you have heard this idea that, you know, that in heaven, God gives each child a, a guardian angel who's with them for life to watch over and protect him. And, and, and that's a common thing. It actually even predates the Bible. It's kind of this idea that there's spiritual guidance. And, 
And some people will point to this verse and say, well, that's what it's teaching. Well, as much as that sounds like a good idea, there's nothing else in the Bible that not only teaches this idea, there's nothing that suggests that idea. And so most people agree, most scholars agree, that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Uh, now, what he is teaching when he talks about the little ones, it's again, not just children. It's anyone that is low, anyone that is humble, anyone that is looked down on, anyone that is needy. And we're going to see in a moment, it includes those that are spiritually young and it includes those that are unbelievers. And what he says is, I want you to realize that these people that other people may not value in the culture, they're valued by God. And he's saying, do not regard as unimportant those who my father in heaven regards as so important that he takes angels who are, are standing near his throne and he puts them to watch over them. Basically, if, if they are that important in the eyes of God, then they should be important in the eyes of God's people. Now, this is where Jesus seems to take an unexpected turn. Because up till now, what he's been talking about, he's been talking about you know, uh, serving the children, serving the needy, serving the, the people that have nothing to offer. But then he goes to the parable, often referred to as the parable of the Good Shepherd. In verse 12, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not with the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, most people agree that this parable is talking about God's concern for the spiritually lost, for unbelievers. But then we've got to ask, how does this connect to what Jesus has been teaching? When he's been talking about caring for children, caring for, the, you know, for people that have nothing to offer, the outcasts, and, 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 and if that's what greatness is, it's investing ourselves in people that have, that have nothing to offer us in return. And here's what I think what he's saying. Over time, for those of us who are followers of Christ and who have been followers of Christ for an extended period of time, over time what happens is that we build more and more of our community with other, other Christians. More and more of our friends are people that share our faith. And, and over time, we start to have fewer meaningful relationships with non-Christians. And knowing that that's a problem, that's where Jesus comes and says, okay, the point is to invest yourself into people that have nothing to offer and you return. And part of that is going to be investing yourself in relationships with non-Christians. Now, here's what happens. We're called to do this with a selfless spirit that Jesus has been talking about in this passage. And to invest ourselves, not because, well, these are the people I enjoy the most or the most that I get from, but because they're important to God. Even if they're not the people we would have chosen to spend time for selfish reasons. And then the challenge is this. As we grow in our relationship with God, as we grow in our commitment to God, the longer we're Christians, the less in common we have with non-believers. And, and that shouldn't be surprising. I mean, the fact of the matter is, I should, shouldn't be surprising we want to hang out with people who believe the same things, who have the same values. I mean, my relationship with Jesus is the most important thing in my life. Wouldn't I want to have friends who have that same priority in their lives? And, and the more that I grow in my faith, the more that my values and my lifestyle and everything that I believe grows from God's word. And, and it's natural that I wouldn't want to spend time with people who share those values and those beliefs. But the unintended effect of this is that often, in times, we start to become like a, the church can become a Christian ghetto, you know, that we've got all our Christian friends and all our meaningful relationships who are with Christians, and, which is good in one sense, but then we lack the relationship with people who don't believe, 
And so we don't have that relationship that allows us to share our faith. And so then when we hear the Bible talk about sharing our faith, right away we think, well, I don't have friends that do that. I'm not close to people. So then we think that, that it's a lot of times evangelism is an event, it's an activity. Okay, well, God's called us to do that. So let me go out and find an unbeliever and let me hit them over the head with the gospel and let me tell them about Jesus. And it's, and it's a one-time thing. And when we think about that, we become intimidated because that sounds somewhere in between scary and embarrassing. And we've seen stories of where it didn't go super well. And in fact, I, I found this little video, some of you have seen this before, where it, it kind of illustrates kind of what we think evangelism can be of you know, going and just finding somebody in cold turkey trying to share their faith, and, and sometimes it doesn't quite go the way that we would hope. Floor? Oh, floor, excuse me. Oh no, floor seven, that's God's number. So that's why you're going there, or that's? No, I um, just like it. Okay. The, um, the, the button there says, uh, case of emergency, like, push that button. I think it brings the fire department. I too, it, if I have an emergency, I press a different button. Jesus. There is no Jesus button. Well, it's, you don't, you don't see it out, out here. It's, um, it's, it's more of a, it's a button I have on the inside. You wouldn't. Gross. No, no, you. Um, those uh, those those glasses work for you pretty good. Mm -hmm. they, yeah, they help you see. Yeah, I see better with them than without. Yeah, I, I too, w once was was blind, but uh, but now I see. I wasn't blind. I Wait. was just nearsighted in one eye. I just. I can see now because I, I was, I was in darkness, but now I'm not. It's, it's not a glasses thing. Contacts. What? Spiritual contacts. I. The... Do you um, do you like talking to people in the elevator? It, is this? Oh, well, you know, I'm... I love silence. Sure. Could I could I ask you a question? Do you, if, if you were to die tonight. Do you, do you know where you're going? Four eight. No. It is hot in here. Oh, you think it's hot here. You do not want to go to hell. I, brother, this isn't your floor. Blessings. I think we got this one. <laughs> now you look at that and you say, oh, that's so uncomfortable. That's what sometimes we think that we're called to do. That's what we think evangelism is. And we're like, I could never do that. And, and I want to be clear, that's not what God is calling us to do at all. That's, that's not God's heart. If you want to know God's heart and what his call is, so let's go to Matthew 18. Let's look at the story of the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he's calling us to know him and to imitate, to, to in a sense, to, to know his love, to know his heart for us, and then seek to imitate that and live it out in other people. And so what do we see here? Let's look again at verse 12. 
What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go on the search of the one that went astray? Now, the first thing that I want you to see here about the good shepherd that we need to understand, that we need to imitate, is his perspective about unbelievers. See, to Jesus, an unbeliever is a treasured sheep that has gone astray. Now, I know many churches that will often talk about unbelievers from a standpoint that it almost seems like they see them as the enemy. Especially when you have people that will say, well, you know, their belief system is different and their value system is different. And especially if you have people that seem to be pushing that value system and, and well, they're the, the enemy, we need, to, we need to fight against them. I want to tell you, you'll never see that taught in the Bible. It's a totally unbiblical idea that's completely out of, out of step with the heart of Jesus. To Jesus, the good shepherd, they are the loved sheep who has gone astray. They are lost and they need his compassion. Now, I will admit that there are people that may oppose the work of Jesus, that may even oppose us who represent Jesus, even to the point that they may seek to do us harm at times. But we have to realize that they are not the enemy. They have been taken captive by the enemy. Now, they may be doing the work of the enemy. They may be acting as wolves, but they're not. They're sheep. They're sheep without a shepherd. They're sheep that have become lost, and, and they're pe- people whom Jesus has compassion, and so should we. The enemy aren't those who have a different sexual ethic than us in the Bible. They aren't the, you know, those pushing the LGBT agenda. They are, the, en- the enemy isn't the abortion doctors, or it's not the people who have a political agenda than what, what you may have. It's not the drug addict. It's not the ex-husband or the ex-wife. It's, you know, we may look at that and say, well, these people, they may be held captive by the enemy, but they're not the enemy. And true, in that t- captivity, they may be controlled and, and in a sense, doing the work of the enemy. They may even express themselves as God's enemy. But to God, they're always a sheep whom he is lo- who loves and he pursues. Look what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexual immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. And he's saying, okay, you know, many of us, that's what we were. We were in that place where we once were act, doing the work of the enemy. We were held captive. But it's not that God rejected us that. That's what we were. And what happened? Did God reject us even if it was rejected him? No, he died to set us free because he continues. That's what you, some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. You were sought out by the shepherd and you were brought home and you were washed and you were made clean. You're made part of his family. And so we have to remember that as, as we see people who reject Jesus' message, that they are people who are held captive, whom Jesus died to set free. They're not people where to hate. They're people that Jesus Christ, as the good shepherd, goes and meets them where they're at to bring them back home. And they may at times even resent or oppose our efforts to love them. But we need to remember that they are not our enemy. They're not the ones we're wrestling against. And at times, even in that opposition, they might get angry or they might, that might actually be a sign that God is actually pricking their conscience and they don't like it. And he's drawing them towards himself. Look what Paul says about this in 2 Timothy. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And what he says is that God calls us to be patient, not to argue, but to be kind. But in that kindness, we're still called to speak the truth. 
patiently enduring evil, but what the Bible calls sin, we're still called to call sin, correcting our opponents with gentleness. Why? Because the goal is to point out the need for Christ, to lead them to Christ, so that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. They're captives, but God came to set the captives free, and he is doing that, and we're called to do the ministry of Jesus, which means proclaiming that the love and compassion and the truth of Jesus, even to those who oppose us. So we're to call that perspective. We're called to love them with Jesus' love. But if we do that, it also means that we're going to understand and we're going to imitate the shepherd's heart. That, that we look at this and we see it's not only that he values them, but that when we love them as well. Again, look at the description of the good shepherd. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, I, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, even in this, it's interesting that those that would have heard Jesus at this time, the idea that God being a shepherd was actually not a new idea to them. It's actually common throughout the Bible. Many of us probably know probably the best known example of that in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he continues on. And, but there's something new. There's some expansion of this idea in what Jesus is teaching here in the Good Shepherd that people wouldn't have understood. And that is that he's, Jesus is teaching the Good Shepherd loves each one and goes after that one lost sheep. He's not just the shepherd in the sense that we are his flock, that he loves us as a group, but that he loves us each individually. He's concerned about each one of us individually. You're not just a number to God. You know, a lost sheep isn't to God just the cost of doing business. You know, God doesn't just write us off, you know, well, it's a stray, you know, it's difficult. And, and you know, he doesn't say, well, you know, they chose to leave and you know, he's gonna get whatever he deserves. But God has a deep love for you and me. And when we wander off, God doesn't just shrug and say, you know, well, the sheep are going to be sheep. You know, that's Ribka, you know. I, no, God goes after us. He goes after you. He goes after me. Why? Because you are incredibly valuable to God. You may have walked away from God. You know, you may be here today and maybe you really haven't thought much about God over the last few years. Maybe you, you know, rejected God in your life. You might have even cursed God. But what the Bible is saying is that you have wandered, but God still loves you enough to pursue you, and he has been pursuing you. You may be here, and you're not even sure why you're here today. You may be online, and you're like, I'm not sure why I'm watching this. You're here because God is pursuing you, that God loves you. He values you. You are a treasure to him, and he wants this relationship with you. How much? Well, look what it says in Romans. You know, it's not just because we earned it, not because we deserved it. In Romans 5, he says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then he continues, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps a good person, one would dare to even die. And we might be expected to say, well, if we were really good, God loved us so much, we earned it. But look what it says, why we were sinners, why we're rebelling against God. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why were we rejecting him? While we were running away, Christ died for us. God is the shepherd who goes after the one. And so the first thing is, do you know him? Do you know that he loves you? 
Do you know he's pursuing you? Do you know he wants a relationship with you? And how have you responded to the good shepherd? That he says, I want to bring you back home. I want to bring you back in a relationship. Will you fight against him or will you accept that invitation? And if we understand that, we understand not only is he the one that has lost that sheep, but for those who have come back home, because he values each sheep, so should we. We should imitate that. And if we understand that, we also realize that we're called to follow and imitate his initiative. Again, when we look at the good shepherd, what we see is that this is a call to go into the world and to reach people where they're at. You know, a lot of churches that can be common, you know, that we can limit our evangelistic efforts to saying, hey, we're going to build the church and we're going to preach the gospel and, and people can come to us and we're going to tell them about Jesus when they come to us. Or as individuals, you know, we're going to, hey, I'm going to live my Christian life and, and, if, and if you want to know about Jesus, you can come and ask me. Now, I ran across this t-shirt. I'm going to have to read it to you. I, 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 I hope it's meant in humor. Uh, it says this, Hello, I would like to invite you to church, but I'm terribly uncomfortable doing this. Would you do me a favor and ask me about church? Thank you. I think, you know, read, you look at that and I said, that's where some of us may be at. You know, we're kind of like, well, I don't want to do that, but, but I'll tell you as soon as you ask me. And I think our approach can be like Little Bo Peep. And, and we all know the story of Little Bo Peep and, and uh, too many churches, too many Christians, we can be Little Bo Peep. And it's the approach that we see in the little poem. Little Bo Peep has lost their sheep and doesn't know where to find them. Leave them alone and they'll come home wagging their tails behind them. And so a lot of times we could say, okay, well, I've lost my sheep. And okay, if, if, when your life's broken, when your tail's wagging, come home and we'll tell you about Jesus. When your life is broken, come and ask me and I'll tell you about Jesus. I'll tell you about the hope that I have. And we don't go to the world. Um, and that's what we sometimes do. We, you know, we, I'm going to live my testimony silently before other people and just somebody can come and ask. Now, let me ask you, some of us, we've done that. I live my testimony. I'm willing to share with anybody that asks, how many have testimonies of people that have come and asked you? How many success stories do we have with that? Not a whole lot because that's not the biblical model. Little Bo Peep isn't in the Bible. The Good Shepherd is in the Bible. The model is a totally different thing where the Good Shepherd left the comfort of the fold. He left the other sheep and he goes out into the wilds. He goes out into the rocks and he finds the sheep where he's at, the one that's lost. And, and when we look at that, there's things in ministry that we do that I love. I love that, you know, the Bible club that we do. Or, I mean, that's great that we get to go into the school and we get to preach the gospel there. We meet people where they're at. That's wonderful. But practically, even as individuals, what is God calling us to do? There might be things like that. It's not calling us to go to street preaching. It's not calling us to go accost people, strangers on an elevator. You know what it's mainly doing is it's calling us to build relationships with unbelieving friends and look for opportunities to share our faith. And when I talk about building relationships, it's not just, okay, let me find an unbeliever and get together and just share the gospel. And if you're not open, I'm going to write you off. No, it's actually building a relationship where we care about the person, where we over time build a trust, where we care about them because God cares about them. I had a, a, a personal story that just illustrated some of the problems with what can happen. There's somebody that, in, that God had brought me in, into my life and I built a friendship with this person. And over time, I mean, he was an, an avowed atheist. And, um, and so over time, I built relationship. And we just get together and we talk about minimal spiritual things at first. And, and I remember one day, uh, we had lunch and we're walking out and he says, he says, Mike, you're different than most Christians I know. 
Because most Christians, they get together with me and they try to tell me about Jesus. I tell them I'm not interested and they, I never see him again. But you're my friend. And the fact is that I was his friend and it was over that period of time of a long friendship that over years it started to open up the door to share the gospel. And that's what God has called us to do for. If God, Jesus really cares about the sheep, then we're to be like Jesus and we're to commit ourselves to relationships with people where we commit to them, we care about them. You know, it's been said that people will never care to know what you know until they first know how much you care. And that's true, that we've got this relationship. We care that we spend time. And that's the example of Jesus. It's a good shepherd. In fact, if you go to Luke chapter 15, same parable, but look at how it's set up. In Luke 15, the setup is this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, and then we get into the good, good shepherd. And the context is that Jesus is so intentional about seeking relationships with unbelievers, you know, the religious people are complaining against him. You know, he's a friend of sinners. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right. And again, if I have the heart of Jesus, then I need to do more of that. Now, what is then my role in what God is calling me to here? Because I will tell you, this is a miracle. This is something that ultimately, if we seek to lead people to Jesus, that is a miracle when someone comes to Christ, God changes their heart. I cannot do that. It's a miracle, but yet God calls me to play a role. And if I don't understand what my role is and what my role isn't, it can lead to a lot of confusion and a lot of frustration. So, so what, let me start by saying what our role is. God calls us to play a role. He's teaching this parable, the good shepherd, in the context of saying, this is what it means to be great. Invest yourselves in people that have nothing to offer and you in return. Invest yourselves in unbelievers that they're not necessarily the people that you would choose for because you enjoy the most, but, but invest in relationships. We're called, it talks about in, in, uh, in, in Thessalonians, that we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. We're called to represent him, both in our word and our deed. And both things go together. The fact is, is that if I'm sharing the word, but my life doesn't match up, then whatever I'm saying and my words are undermined by my actions. But on the other hand, I also have to speak. Francis of Assisi, uh, he had a famous quote. He said, preach the word at all times. When necessary, use words. And that's great. There's great truth in that. So I preach at all times by my word, but when necessary, use words. And the fact is, at times, it will always become necessary. I cannot just live my life without giving a reason, without explaining. Look what it says in Romans 10. How will they then call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him and whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That's not preaching up here, it's sharing. It's, and, and the fact is people won't believe unless somebody tells them. It goes, continues in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by you hear certain things. And we are the representatives to share that word of Christ. And if we don't share it, they'll never believe. So we have a role. Now, it could be something as you know, simple as we're going to give one specific idea in a moment. But it's also a simple way of sometimes inviting people to church is a role. But inviting a church is a relationship. It's not going into a stranger, it's building the relationship. I'll give you a good example of this. Many of you might know uh, Billy Graham, you know, considered greatest evangelist of, you know, the later half of the 1900s, or, 19, or 19, yeah, 1900s. And, you know, we see these stories of thousands of people coming to these crusades and coming to Christ, and it's awesome. 
Do you know what actually happened in Billy Graham's crusades? What he would say was the effect of that? It wasn't like he set up shop and said, hey, unbelievers come, and you had a bunch of unbelievers said, I need that, and they showed up as crusades. That didn't happen. You know what happened? Is he would go to a city. They would have their team go to a city a year beforehand, work with churches, and then in the churches, they would challenge people with what they called Operation Andrew. Andrew in the Bible is the disciple who brought his brother to Jesus. And so they would, for a year, challenge individuals to say, think of three people in your life and pray for them regularly, build a relationship so that at the end of the year, you have enough relationship built in so that you can invite them to the Graham Crusade. Now, when they came to the Graham Crusade and came forward, was it Billy Graham's preaching? I want to tell you, the people that were building the relationships did 95% of the work. It was relationships, even with Billy Graham. The unbelievers don't just show up for that. And so the same thing is true for us. And, and it could be inviting that person, but it's building the relationship. And that's why we have not only church, but we have you know, numerous events that are, that are kind of seeker opportunities and, and conferences and, and women's events and men's events that just come and invite them into relationship. So we do have a role, but we also need to realize what our role isn't. Um, our role is not to convince people. Our role is not to change people. It's not to save people. See, the fact is, at the end of the day, only the Holy Spirit can change somebody's heart. God uses the word, but God uses the word. God does it. It's a seed. When the Bible talks in, in agricultural ideas, I mean, we can plant the seed, but I can't make the seed grow. But the seed isn't going to grow without me planting the seed. God does the miracle. And so I can't convince someone. Now, that's a big load off our, off our, 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 our concern. You know why? Because if I think that I can, then I'm going to be like, I don't know all the right answers, and I don't know what you know. I don't know what to say. You don't need to know all the right answers. God uses imperfect people. He uses you know a lot of times the most effective evangelists are new believers who know nothing other than God saved me. Come and see Jesus. And we don't need to know all the right answers. You just need to be faithful, because it isn't us that convinces. It's us that represent Christ, and it's God that does a miracle. It's not our role to necessarily get someone to pray the prayer of salvation. Wasn't that the goal? Well, yeah, it is. But again, use the imagery of the harvest. You plant a seed, you water it, it takes a long time, and it's only the very end that we harvest it. And so if we're building a relationship, a lot of times I might take someone who's, who's you know, you know I'm common, I share the gospel, I try to build a relationship with, and it may take time, it may take months, it may take years. And, and if they're not open, that doesn't mean it failed. It just is, well, I'm just planting the seed. And sometimes you have people that are most hostile, most negative. They actually, that might be a sign of God opening their heart. Why? Because why they're hostile? Because there's something that's sensitive there. The God's word is, is pricking at a sensitive spot and they're rejecting against it. But the reality is that's a sign that God's working. So don't give up. Don't get discouraged. You don't know what God will do. Go in humble confidence because God will do the miracle. So let me just give some practical how-tos. What do we do here? If it's, it's, you know, just, I want to turn this into, you know, like just a general to say, okay, what is our role? Again, first of all, if you don't have this relationship with Christ, he's pursued you. He wants a relationship with you. First of all, come and know him first. For those who have that relationship, here's what I want you to do. First of all, identify three, I'm going to call lost sheep that God has put in your life. You know, God hasn't called us to save the world. 
you know, think of three unbelieving family friends that he's played on your heart. And you might even be praying. You might, in, in this time, just, God, who are people that are in my sphere of influence you want me to pray for? He wants you to reach the sphere of influence. And, and some of it, when you look at the good shepherd, the good shepherd noticed the one who wandered away. See, and that's what we're called to do. We're called to look at the one who wandered away. We're called to find a few people in our sphere of influence. These are the people that God has put in my life that I want to notice, that I want to specifically pray for, that I want to focus. Because if it's just like, God, use me, probably nothing's going to happen. It starts to happen when I start to focus on a few people that God has put in my life. And then, I want to challenge you to commit to pray regularly for their salvation. Again, realize there's not anything that you can do. It's a miracle of God, that God uses you. And so you pray that God would do the miracle. And, and, and here's what you've got to see is that God uses prayer to do miracles. And, and the fact is that, you know, I can t- I've talked over the years, multiple people that have prayed regularly, and it's amazing how often God uses, answers those prayer. People come to know Christ. And so I'm going to ask you to pray regularly, ideally daily, and, but even if, if not that, just several times a week. And God will work in that. God will do some amazing things. Now, now we're even going to try to take some of that, these ideas and put them into the prayer room. One of the changes we're going to have is we're going to, we have a, usually have a wall of Thanksgiving, and part of that wall is this year is going to be, we're going to have pictures of all the baptisms that we've had this year, and we've had a lot of baptisms. Now, we're also going to have a wall where it's praying, we're asking you to, to specifically, who are you praying for? Give us names of people that are unbelievers, and we're going to have that in a different section. And here's what I want you to realize when you walk in and you're part of that week of prayer, all those people that are on the baptism wall, probably a year or two ago, we're on the, we're on the prayer wall. And so you look at that and you say, this should give us hope. The fact is, is that God is working. God is answering prayer. And so we should be thankful for what God is doing and it encourages us for what he will continue to do. And if you sign up for a week or for an hour of prayer, I want to, I want to challenge you to spend at least five minutes praying for some of the names for unbelievers in there, people that you may not know. And here's one of the things that's going to be encouraging. You may pray for someone you don't know that person. And like six months from now, you're going to see them being baptized and you can hear their testimony. Say, I remember that name. I prayed for him. Now you have part of that story. Isn't that exciting? That's what God wants us to do. I want you to pray, commit to pray regularly for them. And then also pray and look for opportunities to share the gospel. And now this doesn't mean you go into the elevator and you say, okay, how do I do this? It's, you know, you look for opportunities. Let me give you a very specific one, a really easy one, all right? Because most of us, I don't know what to say. This is what I use more than anything else. And, and I can tell you, no matter how closed and hostile to the gospel it is, this, this people will let you do this, right? You know, thinking these three people, and I just go to them and I say, how can I pray for you? And if you do that, then try to follow up in the next couple of weeks. I've been praying about that. How's that going? And I want to tell you, I've done this with atheists, I've done this with Hindus, I've done this with numerous people who have no faith in me, and I'll go to them and I'll say, I know you're an atheist and you don't believe in prayer, and you don't think it does anything, but I do believe in prayer, and it's a way that I can love you and serve you. So if you would just, you know, kind of put up with me, if I could pray for you, how can I pray for you? And I want to tell you, I've had people, and they'll share, like, really empty and meaningless stuff, but I'll come back every couple of weeks. I've been praying about how that's going, and how can I pray for you? And over time, they start to share real requests. And let me give you a true story of, of how this has worked. I remember one guy that, that was a Hindu. And, and again, he didn't believe. I didn't, I know that. And, but I'm just saying, how can I pray for you? And, and one day, a couple of years into a relationship, he calls me out of the blue and he just says, man, I'm on this road and I just got cut off. I almost got killed. And the first the person I thought of is to call you. 
I mean, literally, this 30 seconds, and it's like I almost got killed. And I think of the guy that prayed for me because suddenly I, I have a need, and I'm going to go to the guy that I has some kind of hotline to God. And then he called, and that started to open up a relationship that, with that next step where eventually he came to know Christ. And I encourage you to, to do that. Now, here's one last encouragement within this. Periodically, some of you have been here longer, you've heard me say this. I will say, think about three people that, you, you know, that God has placed on your heart. Commit to pray for them regularly. Pray for opportunities to share your faith. And commit to pray for them for two years. Now, I will have people come and say this to me. Most people will come when I say that and say, oh, I remember you said that before. I keep forgetting to do that. I need to do that. It's really important. That's what most people say. A few people will come up and say, I've been doing that. And every time that someone comes up and says, I've been doing that for the last couple of years, every time they would say, and one of them has come to know Christ. I've yet to have someone say, I've been praying for them for two years and none of them has come to know Christ. I mean, the fact is God works. God does amazing things. And, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to be part, I want to have the heart, the heart of the good shepherd. But it's easy to forget this. And, and that's where I've got to say, I've, I'm not doing as well with this as I have in the past, and I need to be more intentional. We all need to be. We need to encourage each other in it. But there's nothing more wonderful than having the heart of the Good Shepherd and loving those who, may, they may not be the people that we would choose, and, you know, but we're really intentional about saying, God, these are people that I want to invest in, that I want to love on, and then being a part of this story where we see God picking them up and the Good Shepherd and bringing them back home and being a part of that story. There's nothing more wonderful. And if we say, again, the whole thing is being great in the kingdom of God, I want to tell you, it's when I know that I was a part of leading someone to saving faith and that they're going to be in heaven for all eternity in part because of the investment that I made in their life. There is no greater investment. There is nothing of greater significance that will live on for all eternity than that. And I don't know about you, but I love being a part of that. And all of us have a chance to be a part of that. And it's not, okay, you're going to lead hundreds of people to Christ. No, who are the few? Be faithful with the few and let God use you in the few, and you're going to be amazed at what God does. I hope as we begin this, year, this new year, you'll embrace this with me. And, um, and we have a chance to not only embrace it, but as we get into the week of prayer, thinking about who are these people you're going to pray for and, and be a part of that and, and share stories as God answers that prayer. As, as God moves people from the wall that we've been praying for to the wall where we're hayward, this is a picture of the baptism. That's what God is doing. I hope you go there with me. And that is it for this week's message. If you have a question about the message, Community Church, or Jesus Christ, send us a text to 330-400-3242. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.